to Hashtag Single with Jeanette Bonner. I am not a relationship expert or sex therapist. I'm just a regular New York City woman navigating the world as a single, independent feminist. Hashtag Single is about having honest conversations with other singles in today's device-obsessed culture. So I hope you'll join me on this interesting, challenging, and complex journey as we navigate the ins and outs of singledom. Welcome back to Hashtag Single with moi, Jeanette, your host. Thank you for joining us today. This is episode number two of February this year. And if you've been playing along, you know that we are having a single man drought. So while I wait for my single lady guests to find men to join them, I'm switching things up a little bit this year to invite other podcasters in the single and dating sphere to come on over to my side of the pool so to speak, and have a little chat. So today I'm very excited. I have a wonderful sex educator, sex education coach, and of course, podcast producer and host. Her podcast is called Good Girls Talk About Sex. Please welcome to the podcast. Drum roll. There's no drum roll. Leah Carey. Leah, thank you so much for being on Hashtag Ziggle with me. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Leah and I were just joking offline, but Leah and I were just joking about how we've been healing me. When did we start emailing? It must have been like a year ago, a year and a half ago. A really long time ago. Uh, yeah, a hundred <laughs> years. I'm just a horrible person. I I feel like I'm really bad at email. You As know, is the whole world, right? Yeah. There are definitely times when I like, I wish I could just put it all down for a week. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, but wait, no, this is my business. Right, right. Well, and then also, you know, that like, when you come back to it, it's just going to be more stressful because exactly. there's going to be like, the inbox is going to be insane. So yeah. Anyway, you're here. I'm so excited to have you. Um, as we always start on the podcast, I'm going to introduce you to our listeners, if I may. So I've cobbled together a little bio from the very trusty internet. Feel free to correct me <laughs> after I finish it. All right. Uh, Leah Carey is a transformational workshop leader, author, speaker, life coach, and sex educator. She began her career as a journalist for daily newspapers in Vermont, specializing in human interest features. And in 2014, she founded The Miracle journal where she detailed the large and small miracles that happen in everyday life. In 2018, she became a sexual communication coach to engage a broader conversation with the community on contemporary issues around sex and society. She has been published in books, magazines, medical journals, and speaks frequently at groups and conferences and is the author of two books, You Are Not Alone, semicolon, Stories from the Front Lines of Womanhood, and Transforming Your Body Image, semicolon, A Journey to Loving Your Body. Anything you want to add to that? Did I get it right? Uh, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> More it's than most people say. <laughs> I'm yes. a pretty good internet stalker, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, and today I am the host of the podcast, Good Girls Talk About Sex. Yes! yes. Let's let's start at the top. I'm so excited to have you on as both a sex educator um, and a podcast host because I, I love having that conversation. But let's. I want to learn about you. So talk to me about when you decided to follow this path, this journey from journalist to sex educator. How did you <laughs> got there? And like what specifically drew you to sex education? 
Yeah, it was a not at all planned or prescribed kind of love path those at yeah. all. Um, yeah, I actually I grew up in a home where there was a lot of confusion and um, and mm, gross stuff. <laughs> if I could just like say it simply um, around sex. And oh. so I was extremely sexually repressed up into my early 40s. Um, I, I did not have a lot of sex. I had a few longer term relationships. And by that, I mean, I never quite made it to the two year mark <laughs> with anyone. Mm. Um, it, apparently, two years is about the my limit for tolerating bullshit. <laughs> So, Hell yes, woman. <laughs> yeah. So like I would get there and I would be like, yeah, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. So <laughs> peace out. Thanks. It has not been fun. Yeah. Um, and I, in those relationships, the sex I was having was terrible. It was god awful because, and the thing is that I was, I had a very active fantasy life. And in my fantasy life, sex was really exciting and fulfilling. And it's not like I was having bad sex because I didn't want to have sex. I wanted desperately to be having good sex. I just didn't know how. And mm. the only conclusion I could come to was the reason was that I was broken. You know, that for some reason, my body didn't do that thing that everybody else's bodies do. Mm. The breaking point for me came. Um, it, it, it's actually this is a hard piece of the story for me because my mom was my very best friend and she passed away in 2015. That was beyond, beyond heartbreaking. At the same time, nothing that I have done since then could have, I, I just wouldn't have done any of what I've done while she was still alive. Oh, how interesting. So what I did was, um, and it's not because she was like, <laughs> you know, pushing me down or telling me not to. I just had this idea of myself as a very good girl. Mm, and interesting. my mom didn't put that on me, but it never occurred to me to think of myself any other way. As long as my mom, who had known me my whole life, was there to project that onto. Yeah. Once she died, and my father had died 20 years earlier, so my mom owned her own home. So I was able to sell it and finally have a little bit of money, which I had never had before. And I decided that I would take a trip, a solo road trip around the United States. And my goal was just to find a new place to live. Because without my mom, I was living in rural New Hampshire. There was absolutely no reason to stay there without my mom there. So my whole goal was to find a new place to live. But what happened was that while I was on the road, I started having this sexual awakening. And 
none of that could have happened. I wouldn't have left her because it was so important to me to live near her. Mm -hmm. I would not have left New Hampshire. I definitely would not have gone to see a tantric massage sex worker. I definitely would not have, you know, gone onto Craigslist and set up dates with people in cities. (laughs) You know, like I did a whole lot of different things that I never would have done as long as I was still seeing myself through the eyes of this good girl persona that for whatever reason my mom's had anchored for me that's fascinating i feel like i've i've um witnessed that story in different iterations mm-hmm. maybe i've heard you know sort of hearsay or i'm not i'm trying to think if i'd heard it directly on the podcast or not but this liberation of women when they become divorced or when they go to college, for example, it's sort of like, um, I don't want to call it like a sexual rebellion, but if you can sort of release that albatross a little bit of the identity that we see ourselves in or we carve ourselves in from a young age, I don't know. There's a, there's like a permission of like, what do I want if I don't have to follow the rules of society? What if I like women or what if I want to shave my head or what if I don't want to work a full-time job? You know, I feel like women often get trapped in, in these roles that, that we've been structured into, socialized into based on our family or our upbringing or our rearing or whatnot. And at some point, so there's like crack and mm-hmm. then you're just like liberated, you yeah. know? I mean, how interesting that your grief and your freedom are paired in the same package. Yeah. You know, you know I... I would do anything to have my mom back. And at the same time, I know that part of her leaving was me being able to live my life. Yeah, she released you. And she would have wanted that for me. She of course, it's so complicated. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And I also, I mean, I, <laughs> to get just a little bit woo for a second, I absolutely believe that my mother was out there orchestrating these experiences for me. Oh, I love that idea. That's there beautiful. were just There were so many times when weird little things fell into place that I couldn't imagine just happening by circumstance. And so I'd be like, oh, mom's doing this. And I, while my mother would have been totally freaked out by the idea of me doing some of the things that I did while she was alive, I definitely think that she was out there wherever she is cheering me on. (laughs) Oh, that's sweet. I love the selective protectionism. You know, it's like, (laughs) like, you don't want mom to watch you while you're having sex. But like, thanks for helping me find myself. She's like, just (laughs) tune in the channel on this certain time. But all the other stuff, just like go back into spirit world and hang out with the people you know yeah I love that so are you still writing are you still a journalist or have you left that completely for this new life I have left journalism um that was a really great experience for me I I worked for the newspaper for um eight ish years um and that helped me to develop a really good understanding of how to talk to people about hard things Most specifically, when my mom died, we had an extremely difficult experience with hospice. And when I went back to work after she had passed away, 
and I, you know, had my bereavement time and I went back and I went to my editor and I was like, I want to burn this shit to the ground. <laughs> like, give me the front page. I will take them down. Yeah. <laughs> and he, of course, wants to sell newspapers. So he was all about it. But thank God I I took a breath and I stepped back for a few weeks and I finally went back to him and I said, here's what I actually want to do. I want to spend a year looking at the way that we help our loved ones to die in this country and in this culture. And he gave me basically every other week. So there were 26 articles. He gave me a page of the newspaper, which is unheard of. Like, that's just crazy pants. But he gave me carte blanche to interview whoever I wanted to interview, talk about whatever I wanted to talk about. And um, so I ended up having some really difficult conversations or like talking with people about really difficult topics like, um, you know, what went wrong while your loved one was dying and how can we do this better? Or what do you wish could have happened in the days before they died? Mm. Um, You know, like really hard stuff. And like, um, what are the ways in which you still judge yourself? for having done it poorly, even though you were doing the best you could. And so all of that work gave me the confidence to have these conversations about really tricky subjects and know that I was someone people would open up to. So when I eventually started my podcast, and was going to ask people about their sex lives. I mean, I was nervous, (laughs) don't get me wrong, (laughs) but I walked in knowing that I had a basic ability to have challenging conversations and hold that space. And so that was an incredible boon for me. But you became a sex educator before you started the podcast, right? It all sort of happened in tandem. So, okay. yeah, what happened was I... I went out on the road. So this began, I left um, New Hampshire, where I had been living in July 2017. And um, I went out, I was out on the road for about nine months in total. So I was traveling, I was having all of these experiences around sex and sexuality. And I was writing about them for this group of girlfriends on Facebook. They were sort of my safe place. And I started this whole thing by saying, like, I'm doing some stuff that feels so outside the box. And I don't know if you want to hear about it, but here's what's going on. And like, tell me if this is TMI and you want me to stop. And all of them were like, tell us more. Wait, are these were the girlfriends like majority partnered up in Um, marriages or long term relationships? It was all over the map. Um, oh, okay. We were we had taken a writing class, an online writing class together, and we had just really bonded. Um, so there was there was no common thread amongst us except that we loved writing. So there oh. were um, single women, women in very long term relationships, so women in um, you know the latter part of their lives where they didn't really care about sex anymore. Women who never had sex they were like in their 20s and and hadn't had sex yet just like all over the map so I was you know I was nervous about letting them know what I was doing but it also felt like a safe place 
And they wanted to know. And every time I posted something, they were like, tell us more. We can't wait for the next installment. And I was not just writing about like, here's this salacious, titillating thing that happened to me. I was writing about like, here is this thing that happened and here are all of my feelings about it. Mm-hmm. Like, here's what I learned. Here's the myths that I just broke for myself. Here's the hard stuff that came up for me. Here are the places where I still need to heal. And in watching me go through that, these women started writing back to me and saying, first of all, thank you for helping me to unlearn things that I learned in the same fucked up ways you did. Um, you know, here's what I'm taking away from what you're writing, but also here are the experiences I've had in the past and here are the questions I have. And I discovered that I had a lot of answers just Mm. from the process of exploring this because what happened was this basically, you know, I had this year to travel and this became my 24 seven job was to explore my sexuality. So they're coming back to me and saying, you said this thing in your last, you know, your last post about consent. And that made me think of this experience I had. And can you explain to me? I know that something felt weird, but, but I didn't say no. So can you explain to me why I feel so weird about this? And I'd be like, yes, because your consent was violated and that was coercion. You know, like I was And this be- is all just like instinct at this point. Like you hadn't totally. gone and got licensed or gone right. to school or anything. Yeah. And fascinating. T- totally instinct. Um I was already a trained coach at this point. So like I wasn't just sort of spouting off. I did have some I was a life coach, yes. A life right. coach. Yeah. I was a trained life coach. Um I mean, to be fair, I spout off all the time, just like nonsense as if (laughs) both on the podcast and in my personal life, as if I'm some, we all do that, some expert, you you know know what I mean? (laughs) What Dan Savage says is what, uh, what qualifies you to be a a sex advice columnist? The fact that people ask me questions about (laughs) sex. (laughs) Exactly. I'm a human being. Yeah. Uh, pretty much. Um, Yeah. So, um, so they started asking me questions, telling me their stories. And that was when I was like, we are having the conversations I've always wanted to have. And I didn't know where to go to have them. Mm-hmm. And so I started asking them if they would be interested in recording conversations with me about their sex lives. And, you know, a couple of them said yes, <laughs> which was incredibly brave of them. Um And I recorded them and that was the beginning of the podcast. Um, Those early conversations have never been released and probably never will be. But what they helped me to do was to sort of figure out what I wanted the podcast to be. And it's literally just talking to everyday women about their sex lives. And I should clarify when I say women, that includes all people who were brought up as little girls, regardless of their gender, um, experience and expression today, plus transgender women. Well, that's an interesting definition. I think, <laughs> you know, I thought you were going to say anyone that identifies as a woman now, but mm. it's fascinating to say people who were gendered as women as like, because the process of, 
I guess, a sexual awakening as little girls is part of the story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. What I'm interested in is how we were socialized. I agree. I'm fascinated by that as well. And like, mm-hmm. I think that is that's huge and massive, especially in our patriarchal society and the way that we sexualize. I'm not going to like, you know, make it nice. We sexualize girls at a young age and and we set them up to be a certain way and Mm -hmm. you know you can say that that's that's not real anymore but it it fucking is oh (laughs) it absolutely is it's just it's part of the water we swim around in yeah I don't you know I don't care how progressive your parents are every time you turn on the television you see women's bodies being used to sell perfume and cheeseburgers and cars and absolutely everything yeah um so yeah (laughs) and even just like i posted this on social media i don't know a couple weeks ago but there was and it's an old clip but there was um a a young actress when she Mm -hmm. was on uh tonight show and she's like eight and she had just been in the miracle on 34th street and he asks her do you have a boyfriend Mm -hmm. and it was like this is so creepy to watch as an adult woman living in 2022 like why i got asked when i was eight if i had a boyfriend but like why was that okay why was it okay for old men to ask us do you have a boyfriend is there anyone in school that you like anyone you want to get married to and i was like that was normal so gross gross. there's a clip of um britney spears being when she was back on uh oh god what was that show star search with ed mcmahon and she's about that age she's about eight and she just went out there and she killed it and she's so talented and he says to her do you have a boyfriend and she sort of does that nervous giggle that we all learned to do yeah and she says no and he says well what about me (laughs) it is so fucking disgusting and we looked at him as like our you know collective uncle yes yeah oh god Anyway, I, so I think that's really interesting that you invite that conversation as part of your exploration on the podcast. I think mm. that's very needed, and I think that's very unique, too. But I think I think you and I have some overlap just in general. Like, one of the things I, I love about your podcast is that when you speak to your guests about their sexual experiences, you're, like, coming from a place of non-judgment and curiosity about people's sexual development and their sexual awakening and and that's not dissimilar to hashtag single in that when I'm talking to other singles I come in with absolutely no agenda and just try to hear their story you know woman to woman about their dating lives why they're single their thoughts around being single like their journey to where they're at in their lives right now so you know I just want to use the podcast I'm sure you're in a similar place to connect other women over a shared experience in the hopes that I can create a community around a rather isolating time in people's lives. So kudos to you for opening up the door to conversations around often taboo topics. And, and what you just said is exactly my reason for doing it. I spent so much of my life, literally four decades thinking that I was broken and I was completely alone. And that I was the only, you know, I was the only woman in the world who was having these experiences or these Mm -hmm. feelings because I was watching all these other women and social media has made it even worse. And it becomes very hard to know what's real and what's not. But if all you do is see what's on the surface, then you're going to believe you are literally the only person who's going through 
this experience and my greatest joy is when somebody gets back to me, like listens to the podcast and then emails me and said, I thought I was the only one who experienced it, but your guest just told my story. That's wild. That's like, I mean, it's not wild that like two people would have the same experience, but it's wild to me that like everyone seems to have a similar experience of, oh, it's only me. Mm -hmm. And even though we like our logical brains somehow know that that can't be true, but our inner emotional lives or our ego or what is constantly telling us, no, it's literally just you. You're the weirdo. And that word broken I don't know that that's specifically come up on hashtag single, but I do feel like topics around that, and that resonates with me too, is a word I used. I wrote a solo show um, in, uh, I'm like, (laughs) when the hell did I write it? (laughs) It doesn't matter. I wrote a solo show called Love Guts High School about a high school crush on a really good friend, almost quasi best friend, um, that I lost my virginity to and it became this like obsessive imbalanced relationship Mm. very damaging and I believed that he didn't want to date me and then I couldn't get past him and have a real relationship because I was broken that Mm -hmm. was a word I use in my show and and I I believe that I thought there was something wrong with me like I had either I don't know I couldn't figure out like well is it me as a human being that is not desirable or likable or relationship worthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, for me, the broken showed up as not having sensation during sex. You know, I feel like that's super common with women. It's so common. Oh my God. It's so common because the, so, all right, everybody who's listening, who believes that you are broken because you're not having sensation during sex, here's what's going on. Hear me when I say this. You are not broken. You are not having the kind of sex that is right for your body. You are probably having sex that the other person or other people want to have because it's right for their bodies. And you have been socialized to take care of everyone else before you even think about yourself. And what happens when we go into the bedroom is we go through the motions of taking care of the other person, we don't get satisfaction, but then because they're satisfied, the interaction ends. Mm -hmm. This is not you being broken. This is you not knowing how to advocate for yourself because probably you don't even know you're allowed to. Yes. I mean, we can say it 8,000 times a day and I feel like it would take 400 years for that to really seep into society. Like truly, you know, it's, it's just, um, I'm like, I'm hearing echoes of stories I've heard told to me on this podcast. I feel like it it is, I don't know. It's our messed up, like I said, patriarchal society that, that makes women believe they come second and, and, and internalizes that information in a way that doesn't allow them pleasure or. Yeah. And you know, another thing that happens is that. The I'm going to talk about a heterosexual interaction here for a second. When a man thinks that he's a really good dude, (laughs) when he has this concept of himself as I'm a really good lover and I really take care of my woman, 
one of the ways that shows up is him saying to her, they get into a sexy situation and he says to her, hey, baby, what do you want? And the woman's brain goes into freeze because, first of all, she doesn't know how to answer in a way that she thinks will please him. Because even though he's asking her what she wants, she is still thinking about how to give him what he wants. So she's going to ask for something that she knows will please him. And second of all, what he's really usually asking is, what thing can I do to you and to your body for, you know, the next two to three minutes before we get down (laughs) to doing what I want to (laughs) do? And there's a huge disconnect there because the way that the, uh, and here I'm going to use some really broad generalizations. So this is not true for everyone, but you know, when we're talking at a more societal level, the male turn on cycle happens really fast. They see something and they go, Oh, I want that. (laughs) And they go about getting it. The female turn on cycle happens much slower. Right. And it happens. It's like climbing a hill, you know, while his is a spike, Hers is climbing a gentle hill. And so that turn on cycle never has an opportunity to kick into gear when we're following the male turn on cycle where he says, I see your breasts. I want you. Here we go. Having sex. What do you want? Okay, I will, you know, flick your neck bills for 90 seconds and then I'll pound you. Um, the woman's turn on cycle in general needs to feel connected, to mm-hmm. have the conversation that helps her to feel really, you know, held and seen by her lover. You know, there are lots of different ways that can manifest for different people. Every person has their own version of this. But in general, when the guy says, what can I, what do you want? What can I give you? The answer is we need to go back an hour (laughs) and sit down and have dinner (laughs) and get really connected. (laughs) That's what I need. (laughs) But I don't know how to say that. So what I'm going to say is flick my nipples. Yeah, right. (laughs) You know what I was thinking about the other day? How in high school, like you'd lie on the couch with someone and watch a movie. And because you haven't gotten to like the that next step yet mm-hmm. you would spend hours or at least I would spend hours like yep. I'm, I'm saying we but I was spent he would spend hours just tracing my belly button yeah because it was sort of like a can I can we go there yep. can I go lower how but it would take like 30 minutes for him to work up the nerve you know and I was like but it was kind of nice to just have someone like stroke your lower belly for 30 minutes <laughs> You know, I haven't had that kind of sex in years, years. And the reason is because once we cross that threshold, once we have sex, the assumption becomes that anytime we touch each other, we're going to have sex. Yes, yes, As opposed yes. to when we touch each other, it's for the sake of touching each other. Yeah. And exploring each other's bodies and having that connection. And then sometimes that may lead to sex, but it doesn't have to. It's not right. a requirement. It's not an expectation. It should literally never be an expectation because that's not consent. That's not how consent works. Consent is ongoing, meaning in this moment, I am choosing to do this thing. It's not, I'm going to lay back and wait for this to be over. That's not consent. 
100%. just because you didn't say no doesn't mean that you said yes. And I hear from so many women who are like, well, I mean, what happened to me wasn't assault. It's not like I said no. And I'm like, okay, so walk me through what happened. Well, he asked and I said no, and he went back to kissing me and he asked and I said no, and he went back to kissing me and he asked and I was like, well, I guess we might as well. Yeah, that's not fucking consent. That's coercion. Yes. Yeah, I love that you delineate that on your podcast because I don't think that is a word that people... You know, it's not just like as black and white and as yes or no. It's a spectrum. And the word coercion is very interesting because it's very much aligned with power and authority. And it's not like coercion like uh, violence and assault. Coercion can be emotional. Totally. You know, but we don't talk about that. Yeah. Coercion is mostly emotional because it's playing on all of your insecurities and we have been brought up to believe that if we give in, then that's on us. As opposed to sometimes it feels safer to give in. You know, I don't, I know that if I upset him, again, I'm, I'm talking in heterosexual terms. This can happen in, in relationships of varying gender makeups. But, uh, you know, I'm afraid that if I upset my partner, they're going to sulk and they're, Mm -hmm. you know, they're going to be in a bad mood and bitchy to me for the next two days. I don't want that. It's easier to just give them 10 minutes of my body. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing to do. I, I have done that many, many, many times in my life, but that's not sex. That's just laying back and sort of being a masturbation tool, you know? I had an experience when I, during my time on the road. So I'm, I I forget, I think I was 42 at the time or 43. And I had an experience where I laid in bed naked with this man. And I had said to him, I'm trying to relearn how to do all these things. And he was very open to that. He was very generous. And I said, I don't want to do anything until I'm really ready to do it. And he said, of course that's what consent means. And I'm like, but I'm afraid that I'm going to like, you're going to get bored or you're going to be upset. And he's like, no, this is what consent means. We wait until you're ready. And if you're never ready, that's okay too. Oh my God. He said that to you? Yes. Why did you not lock him down? (laughs) What the hell? I've never had a man say that to me literally ever. I know. That's amazing. that was when I realized that I don't think I had ever actually said yes to sex before. Like a real full-throated, heartfelt yes. No, I I don't think I have either. Yeah. I had had a, well, I mean, not a million, but I had had a lot of experience of not saying no. Or saying yes through coercion, or saying yes because I didn't want to upset the other person, or any of a hundred other reasons. But had I ever actually said, oh my God, come here, I want you now? Mm, Maybe once. Right. Yeah, and I think we like, kind of trick ourselves into... You know, like just thinking through this and talking with you now, I think about the ways that I tell myself I'm in power or I tell myself it was my choice, but mm. maybe really it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> or or like my version of what I think is in power is still wrapped up in the act of uh, pleasing a man, mm-hmm. um, which I think is sort of embedded in 
my personality and I can only attribute that to the way I was socialized. I don't, I can't say it was, it's a logical choice, but yeah. that I, I do do that. So who knows? I mean, we're all growing. We're trying. We're <laughs> exactly. We are all doing the best we know with how to do in the moment. Yeah. Um, obviously, when we're talking about sex, and we've been doing this right now, it's mostly talking around partnered experiences. Mm. But just to sort of, you know, make this a full collaborative convo, I wanted to talk to you about sex as it refers to single people. Yeah. And the thing is, that doesn't always just, I mean, our brains just go like, oh, that means masturbation, but it doesn't always. It's what it means is it's sex as a part of the dating process, which I don't think a lot of people talk about, you know, talking from like, just like a personal perspective, what that means to me is that you're all in all likelihood having sex like once or twice a year, depending on, of course, how you date and how soon you sleep with a person once you start dating them. But let's just generally say it's less frequent and that... <laughs> In general, masturbation is like what holds most of us off until either the right person comes along or or we get so frustrated we just have a one night stand, yeah. which is what I did last weekend, but we won't talk about that. Congratulations. Um, I, think I don't that's know. Great. <laughs> I don't know if it's the congratulations are in order. I mean, it as, long as, it's, as long as it's something that you wanted in the moment that it happened, I see it is. absolutely yes. nothing. But wrong it was one it. of those things where I was like, if I don't have sex soon, I, I think I might die. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care who it is. Mm-hmm. It's not ideal, but it, you know. But anyway, back to you. So I'm curious, like, what conversations have come up about the intersection of singlehood and sex on your podcast? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, um, First of all, I want to make the distinction between solo sex and partnered sex. Yes. So solo sex is masturbation. Yes, it is a sexual uh, function. That's a terrible word. But, you know, that is a kind of sex. And then there is partnered sex, which is when there's another person in the room. And my definition of sex is any activity that has the potential to create an orgasm. Great. So now that we have the definition down, <laughs> because I think I think it's really important to define what we mean by sex, is, because there is. are a lot right. of people who use the term to mean a lot of different things. Of course. So on my podcast, I have talked to women who are single who have never had sex. And I've talked to women who are single who have had hundreds of partners and I think that they are both entirely valid experiences. The women who have had hundreds of sexual partners, I think that the assumption that most people would make is that they would show up and be like, mm, you know, I really kind of regret that. And some have, and some have been like, hell no, I've absolutely mm. loved what I've done. Yeah. And so I just, I think it's so important to recognize that the, the choices that you have made for your body are nobody else's freaking business. And there's no reason to judge them. They are the decisions that you've made. Like you said, you had sex last weekend. Um, it sounds like it was a one night stand. I see no judgment in that. Because yeah, no. <laughs> you're getting you're getting your emotional needs met in some places. But if you're single and you're not getting your touch needs met, that can actually legitimately lead to some 
emotional and mental misfires. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the concept of touch deprivation? Or uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So when you're single, if you're not having your touch needs met, and this has gotten so much worse during the pandemic, that can lead you to um, depression or mm-hmm. things that look like depression, anxiety, things that look like anxiety, sleep disturbances. There are lots of negative consequences of not getting our touch needs met. So if the way that you get your touch needs met is by going out and having a one night stand, I hope that you'll have some conversations around, you know, sexual safety and your turn ons and turn offs <laughs> so that you're having sex you want to have. Right. But I think that going out and having sex just because you feel like you need to have sex is actually a really good, important thing to do. I agree. I I mean, like I said, I laugh about it because was it the sex of my dreams? No, but, <laughs> sure. you know, you're right. I decided this is something I want. Like it was on my terms. Mm-hmm. He didn't, there was no coercion. It was my suggestion to go home with him. Mm-hmm. I was like all very much like, I've picked you. I've decided you're doing, we are doing this tonight. Um, you know, and I agree. Like I just, I, it did feel like scratch an itch. Like I, that's yes. a horrible analogy, but like um, it did, it did satisfy something on some level of like, I just needed, I just needed naked time. Yes. I just needed to feel desired. I'm good for another six months. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And even if you were only good for another two days, that would be okay too. Right, right, right. right. (laughs) You know, and if if listeners have just heard me say, I hope you have some conversations about turn-ons and turn-offs, there's actually a conversation rubric that can be really helpful called STARS. Yes, tell us more. Okay. I'm intrigued. I will will give you a link to an episode of my podcast where we talk about this. It is five letters, S-T-A-R-S, and they each stand for a portion of this conversation to have. The first S stands for STI status, making sure that the person who you are about to hook up with, that you know their status and they know your status and you're both comfortable That does not mean that if somebody says, I have herpes or I have HIV or any of those things, that they are automatically off the table. But it does mean that you need to have informed consent about what you're getting into and vice versa. And you need to know what the safety protocols are Mm. for you to maintain your health the way that you want to. So that's the first S. The T stands for turn-ons. What will make this a really enjoyable, fulfilling experience for you? Mm. In general, if you're having sex with somebody, they want you to have a good time. (laughs) Like, usually, they're not just there to get their rocks off. They want you to have a good time, too, because it's more fun for them. So if you can talk about your turn-ons and what makes you really excited, what will get you juiced up and ready to go... That's going to make it better for both of you. Then there's the avoids, which are, here are the things that I am not interested in doing. Maybe I'm not interested in ever doing, and maybe also things I'm not interested in doing with you tonight. Mm-hmm. So I for instance, there's the distinction being, and, and I'll use myself as an example, there are things that I will do with people who I'm comfortable with, but I will not do with somebody who I've just met. 
Right. So something like spanking or, you know, more aggressive kinds of touch. Mm-hmm. That is something that I leave for people who know my body, who I feel absolutely safe with. It's really important to me to know that somebody can hear and respect my boundaries before I'm willing to let them enter my body. Uh, So that was S-T-A-R is relationship expectations. And this is where I think so many hookups fall, just become so dramatic and terrible because the two people walk in with different relationship expectations. One walks in and is like, this is going to be a fun couple of hours and then I will never see you again. And the other is like, oh my God, this could be my next partner. I want to be with this person. I really like how they look and sound and smell and the way they move in the world. This could be it. And then they have sex. And the one who was like, this is going to be a fun a few hours is like, peace out. This has been great. And the other person feels devastated. Or even that just like spills over into like, are we the kind of people that are going to do this next weekend? Are we texting in the middle of the week or is it just sort of like we're going to pretend this never happened and I'm going to get a random text from you at midnight four months from now? Yes, exactly. No one ever has that convo. Exactly. So like one of the things that you can talk about here is I would really like to get a text the next morning. You know, like I don't need this to be an ongoing thing, but I just want to know that what we did was meaningful enough to you that you want to know how I am. Or it's okay with me if you want to have a booty call once in a while. You know, if you message me at midnight and I'm up and into it, I will say yes. And if I'm asleep, then I'm not going to wake up for you. You know, like you can lay those kinds of things out in advance so that you're all on the same page. Now, people may change their minds and they may say, yes, I'm okay with this being a one night stand when secretly they want something else. Mm -hmm. But that's your job is to have the conversation and be honest as you can with yourself. If the other person can't match that level of honesty, that's not on you. So that's the R. And then the final S is safety protocols. And this is both physical and emotional safety. So physical safety would be what types of barriers do you want to use? Um, Are you on birth control or not? Do you need to use condoms or not? And then also, um, are there things that you need just so that you can relax and feel safe while we're doing this? It was always really important to know that I had my own source of transportation. If I was relying on the person who I was going home with to be my transportation at the end of the night. Oh my God, I could never. Yeah. That did not feel safe to me. That's terrifying to me. Yeah. So I either needed to have my own car or know that, you know, I could get a Lyft or an Uber. Yeah. Or it might be, I need to have my phone in reaching distance so that, you know, so that I can pick it up if I need to. Yeah. Or if shit goes down, you can. Exactly. Yeah. That's so smart. Or it could be that, you know, I'm not going to feel safe if you put your hands on my throat. You know, just the things that you need in order to feel fully safe and present. And that's your basic stars conversation. I love it so much and I'm going to drill it because I, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely like, I've got a solid 20% on this test. Like, I'm, I'm like 
damn, I don't do that. Oh God, I need to do that more. Oh, I should have done that, you know. Yeah. But it's hard in the moment. It's like, totally you know, is. And hard it, when you've had three gin and tonics maybe yeah. also. <laughs> yeah, and it can feel really super intimidating the first few times you do it. It can feel really scary. Like, am I really about to say these words out loud? And what if the other person rejects me, blah, blah, blah. So first of all, if the other person rejects you, good (laughs) you know i agree i agree better off without them but also um it does require a few times going through it for it to really feel like okay i'm safe and okay having this conversation i i the first time i encountered this was in a class the the woman who created this particular rubric her name is dr eveline dacker and i actually took a class with her where we broke up into small groups to practice each of the different five pieces. And we got to turn ons. And I was so um, the idea of speaking out loud, that I actually had turn ons. And that I was going to admit what they were. I started bawling so hard, I couldn't speak. Mm. So if this sounds really scary to you, you're not alone. And you can do it. Um, I'm, you know, if people want to reach out to me, I'm happy to set up a coaching session where this is all that we do is talk through this. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Leah. That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's so important. It is so important. And it's, it, it not only is it important for your physical, mental and emotional safety that night, but it does it makes a world of difference in terms of your feeling of agency and your ability to walk in the world and know that, like, I'm taking care of myself. Yeah, that, I agree. That's a really big thing. So beautiful. Um, <laughs> before we close out the episode, I just want to hear from you on like a personal level. Yeah. Like, what are some of your favorite episodes? What are you most proud of the conversations that's come up in the podcast? What are the episodes that come to mind when you want to tell a new person about your mm. podcast? What are the things and the stories and the moments that have brought you joy? Oh, my God. It's like asking me to choose my favorite child. First thing that comes to mind. Like, yeah. don't judge it. First thing that comes to mind. So there are, there are a couple. Um, one is with a woman named Michelle. She's actually one of only two people I've ever invited back. <laughs> because I usually I, I want to tell a new story every time. But Michelle showed up early on. Um, and I believe that the title of her episode was... Um, Oh, God, what was it? A tingling in my nether regions or something like that. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) She's so funny. And she was she was really dealing with the fact that she had seen herself as a lesbian for basically her whole life. And suddenly she was attracted to a man. And what the fuck did that mean? Yeah. And what was she going to do with that? And how was she going to handle that? And so at the end of that episode, I was like, oh, my God, Michelle, first of all, you're hilarious and I want to talk to you more, um, but you need to come back and let us know what happens. And so I said, let's get let's touch base again in a year. It ended up being two years because COVID. But just recently, I released the follow up to that episode where she talks about how the reason that she hadn't been having fulfilling sex was that she was having the wrong kind of sex for her body. She is still a lesbian. 
Well, actually, that's maybe not exactly true. She now um, identifies as a kind of mostly lesbian with some bisexual <laughs> tendencies. And she's like, I'm a 70 30 lesbian. I love yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And she's having a different kind of sex. And I'm not going to tell you what it is because you should listen to the episode. Stay tuned. I know. <laughs> send me, well, no, definitely send me the link. Um, okay. I'm happy to link that up for you guys in our episode notes, um, in the episode description. If you're intrigued about this topic and this conversation and you want to hear more, um, I'm, I'm, I would be happy to, to make that easy for Great. people to get to. Yeah. Anything right. else you want to share before we close this out? Um, you know, there are people, I know this is, your podcast is primarily for single people. And um, I think the one thing that we did not hit on today is body image. And that's a really important issue for people who are in the dating world and fearing that they may not be acceptable or might not be desirable. Um, I'm not going to go into the whole explanation of this, but you can find it on on my Instagram and in my own podcast, many conversations about this. There are people who want to love you in exactly the body you're in today, not 10 or 15 or 30 pounds from now, not a facelift from now, not a vaginal rejuvenation from now. (laughs) There are people who want to love you exactly as you are today. And the reason that you're not seeing them is because you've got your blinders on. You believe that they don't exist, or you believe that they would never see you or love you. But I can guarantee you, regardless of the size or shape of your body, regardless of your gender um, expression or presentation, regardless of your kinks, there are people who want to love you. And so what you need to do is show up so that they can see you and find you. So beautiful. Thank you for that reminder. Yeah. Body image or whatever else we're all fucking dealing with in terms of what we're telling ourselves and limiting beliefs. I can't hear that often enough. So Mm -hmm. It's nice to hear someone else echo it. So thank you so much. I appreciate you. Absolutely. It was so wonderful to talk to you today, Leah. I'm so glad we finally connected. Yes. It's so great to talk to another woman who's out there trying to create community around these uh, conversations and experiences. So thank you once more for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad that it finally worked out. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Um, Like I said, you guys, I'm going to link Leah's podcast. It's called Good Girls Talk About Sex, but I will link everything in our episode description so you can find it very easily. And Leah, what's your Instagram handle? Good Girls Talk. I'm on all the socials as Good Girls Talk. (laughs) You can find her over there and we'll link it too. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. As always, going to remind you the same thing I always remind you. But if this episode resonates with you and someone you can think of, please feel free to share it. As always, we are over on Instagram at hashtag single pod if you want to come on, join the conversation. And if you're feeling lighthearted and bubbly today, maybe perhaps you'd like to leave a lovely little review review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening on. It always helps our podcast rise to the top. That's it for hashtag single, you guys. We will catch you next time.